This episode of Spectre Cinema Club is brought to you by Budweiser. If there's anything that a vampire loves more than blood to satisfy their thirst, it's Budweiser. King of beers since 1876. Please do not consume if you're under the age of 21 and please drink responsibly. Welcome, welcome to Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror subgenre. I am your co-host, Garrett McDowell, sitting across from me, it's Devon Taylor. Hello, hello. We are still getting nice and filthy and grimy, hanging out here in New York City. Yeah, I barely got the gunk off me for our long conversation of Scream 6. Still recovering from that one, to be a, honest. A, a long, gunky one, for sure. Uh, however, I will say, um, you know, we, we did make it a point that Scream 6 uh, kind of lacks the, the New York personality a little bit. And I'm very excited to get into this film today, mm-hmm. Habit, which I feel uh, does kind of have a little bit more of that uh, grime to it. And, yeah. Uh, and it, it uh, got me back in the mood of feeling like we were in New York. For sure. And I think this has the benefit of being like, you know, Scream 6, big budget studio horror film legacy sequel. And this one is like a very intimate, small 90s independent movie. So I, I assume a lot of the extras and locations or you know it's probably just a buddy's apartment that you set decorated as Mm -hmm. best you could and you know this local bar that you could had a couple hours to shoot in so yeah this one is like probably the most authentic new york horror film that we're going to be talking about this month yeah and we'll and we'll get into a little bit more details on that but but so far you know like you said scream big budget and then uh this and basket case both you know very micro budget um indie films so would you say um and you know and compared to some of the other ones uh, that we've kind of talked about here on the show, the Warriors, um, you know, would you say that New York lends itself better to smaller stories, though it is this very big city? Well, I think as someone who is, I mean, for both of us, not originally from this big metropolitan area that we have now lived in, I think it's natural for a lot of people to feel maybe smaller, maybe a little bit more insignificant in these cities because there's so many people you know, by proxy, then making the individual maybe not as valued as much. So I feel like that intimacy is able to be more closely felt. I think that that sense of authenticity is easier achieved than, um, you know, maybe a more rural place. Um, But I think that because you have characters like this who do feel isolated, who do feel a bit lonely, I think a city like that kind of lends itself a bit more the idea of having millions and millions of people. But you like, where do you kind of fit in in the crowd? You know? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, definitely, because that would also, of course, extend into Scream 6. That's like, you know, these are people that, you know, unfortunately, they are like known now and they're kind of, they're big in this, you know, big city. Plus, like the idea of Ghostface was like very big, you know, so mm-hmm. um, that maybe, um, but I like what you're kind of going there as far as uh, some of the uh, the themes of loneliness and, yeah. uh, and things of that nature. So let's go ahead and get right into the movie for today's episode. Habit. Released November 14th, 1997, though the film was completed in 95, 
Um, it just didn't really have anywhere to go. Um, so it wasn't formally released until 1997. This was written and directed by Larry Fessenden, who is a, um, a, a long time, uh, you know, kind of is very known for in the New York scene as far mm-hmm. as uh, indie filmmakers go. Uh, has done a bunch of genre films, but this was one of his first. Um, the cinematography done by Frank G. DeMarco, uh, shot on nice and nasty 16 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Another another uh, um, commonality with Basket Case. Yeah, I think that the grit and the grime of this type of film really captures this era super well, and again gives it that sense of like tangibility and authenticity that I think is found in like a specific era of filmmaking that I honestly kind of miss. <laughs> yeah, I there, I know there's a uh, Larry Fessenden box set through uh, Scream Factory that nice. you can get, and I wonder if um the uh, remastered version uh, looks better than the one that is currently on streaming because like this looks even like worse than basket case does. yeah i was wondering like i mean i have a r- relatively nice like 4k tv but this one i had to be like like man this is this is fuzzy <laughs> yeah and there, there might have been uh there might have been some uh whiskey uh dripped onto yeah, the, I like the to reels think so. it certainly feels like it's running through every frame of this movie for sure <laughs> i mean and and Fezenden also did edit this himself too so i don't know i can definitely see him just like uh, editing coffee to, yeah you know? <laughs> 3 a.m spilling some coffee a, l- a couple cigarette ashes make it onto the reels um and the score was done by jeffrey kidd um there is no box office information uh made uh well at least not box office um but the budget is was made around 190,000 per glass eye picks that's actually surprising yeah i i assume that's is probably of an accurate of a figure i, I did some digging and that's the uh, glass eye picks is the production company that made the movie it's larry fesenden's mm-hmm. company and that's what it says on the website which is higher than i thought it would be um and i think adjusted for inflation would be higher than some people would be which i i think does come through but i think there's a cue a, 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 a few key sequences where i think that that money comes through a bit more like i had already mentioned too i feel like a lot of this it's just like at a friend's apartment somebody works at a bar and they could squeeze it in you know a couple this mm-hmm. was shot over like uh, a few weeks so yeah i think that uh this isn't quite micro budget but it's it's pretty darn near yeah or maybe or maybe that number on glass eye picks is the adjusted for inflation number oh maybe that, that maybe maybe yeah. a little bit because I, I mean if a uh, Apart from like some, you know, a special effects stuff, but all the special effects stuff was practical. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to uh, wonder where, um, you know, the, the money was maybe just in the in the equipment. And yeah, maybe probably I would say probably uh, Jeffrey Kidd deserves at least half of the budget because yeah. uh, the score uh, is very, uh, very lavish and kind of above what you would assume for uh, this kind of movie. For sure. Um, it, this on Rotten Tomatoes has a 75 percent, but only on 20 reviews. You know, it kind of came out in that little middling uh, era and then also did not have a theatrical release or anything. So it's still a little bit under the radar. Um, and it has a letterbox average rating of 3.5 out of 5 over on letterbox. Now, I watched this movie for the first time um, in preparation when we were doing the incinerator pod. And oh, I was trying nice. to um, diversify my vampire movie list. Mm-hmm. So that was my first time watching it. But this is a first time watch for you this time. Yeah. Um, I know this had been previously screened like per shutter in the the Joe Bob's uh, drive-in cinema kind of situation. Um, so I was aware of the film, hadn't seen it myself, um, had a, an awareness as well of, of Larry Fessenden. Um I hadn't really seen too many of the films that he has uh, written and directed. So this one was, was quite new for me. But, you know, knowing... 90s indie uh, New York set horror film wasn't expecting 
Lost Boys or anything, and you certainly don't get that. This is a really intimate story, a very character-driven story. Uh, it certainly fits into the drama horror category, using these gothic mythology and imagery to you know really capitalize or uh, underline some of the character dynamics and and a lot of the struggles that they're trying to overcome in this film so i was quite interested in this one um i don't think it, it per if i had seen it before recording the incinerator pod it would have made it into my top 10 i think it's certainly a memorable one uh and and one that i think really uh understandably cemented larry as like a force to be reckoned with creatively um but this one didn't blow me away for, or, or really anything um but i think it's very distinctive i really like the style of the film i like living in this world for some weird reason even though i literally felt like i needed to take a shower um but i liked this this era that this this captured i think there's a real candidness with this movie that i admire so yeah i really enjoyed this one uh it's certainly not going to be like you know one of my favorite uh uh you know uh, vampire films even uh but i'm excited to talk about it for sure yeah this one i mean at the time that i watched it and then definitely now at the time of re-watching it it kind of just hit in a certain way where uh like you said you know you kind of have certain feelings living in a big city and especially when you're not exactly doing the things that you want to be doing and, sure you know and you feel like you know sometimes you feel like the only thing that you're doing is just like kind of working and drinking you know mm-hmm. and i've been there multiple times you know especially you know he's a uh, you know, bartender at like a, a restaurant slash dive bar slash music venue. Yeah. And uh, he also like manages it, kind of serves like he just kind of does it all at this kind of, you know, mm-hmm. dead end uh, hole in the wall kind of establishment. Yeah. So it's like uh, so uh, very much uh, I felt it more on the, the compellingness on uh, of the character study of it all. Yeah. Um, I'd say as a vampire movie, um, it serves its purpose at least. And I think it does add in a it does add in a, a nice like is this a is this truly a vampire movie is yeah. this not like is she real is she not you know and uh kind of uh playing with that so i think they use just enough of it and just enough of the um you know vampire mythology to like kind of uh really get into his mindset but really yeah. it's like you're just kind of watching this guy you know spiral drinking himself to death essentially yeah. the, the, this is essentially like and it's not going to be in my movie math but it's like a really straight down the middle like sad depressing version of vampire's kiss like it's a <laughs> mixed with a lot of alcohol it's like this you know is is it is it not kind of guys spiraling because of of this you know entrapment that he's found himself in? Yeah, it's it's vampires kiss without the fun. Yeah, because like, this isn't a very fun. Movie. It's really not. Uh, you know, like you definitely do kind of really get into this guy that's dealing with a whole lot. You know, between the loss of his dad, uh, going through a breakup, and yeah. then also you know just like kind of doing his dead end thing. Yeah, I told him that. It's so loud, dude. Oh my goodness. You could say Cal is very thirsty uh, as, uh, you know, our main character, Sam, in this film. Um, But yeah, I I just, uh, you know, very much uh, was compelled in that. And it does very much feel New York in the spirit of not only do you get to see the city and like kind of, you know, you get to see just like, uh, you know, the the silly transportation things that they deal with. Like, you know, whenever you just like are getting a drink somewhere, like based on the area you're in, like not really where you want to go, you know. Uh, things like that. Uh, every apartment they are in is so small and cramped. Uh, Scream Six, their apartment is huge. Oh yeah, it's too big, too too spacious. <laughs> uh, and so it's like every 
by his apartment that we're in uh, feels very like cramped and uh, and claustrophobic and 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 you know it, it captures that like you know that just up all night you know energy like when people talk about you yeah. know, New York the city that never sleeps um, which you know feels very pertinent to have a vampire movie set in that way and like yeah. kind of you see it you know where it's like for them it's like you know when they're drinking and it's nighttime and they're doing stuff they're alive and they're fun and everything mm-hmm. and that's like during the day during the day it's so dry and everything is like so very like bland and they're all you know like tired and hung over and sick during the day yeah you know so it's like i like that you kind of really get a a little bit of like uh, uh the new york lifestyle in it uh but then uh, on top of uh, some uh, some classic vampire tropes so uh, I really enjoyed this one, so I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper into some of the subgenres in it. And uh, if you guys have not seen the film, this is your time to go because we're going full spoilers uh, here after the 60 second synopsis. You can uh, currently watch this on Shutter, on Tubi, uh, a few different sites. So it's a uh, it's around. And uh, so Garrett, are you ready to uh, do a little 60 second synopsis here? I'm ready. Let's do it. All righty. Well, I got you with a minute on the clock. Here in three, two, one, go. Uh, you've got Sam here, and he's he's just a real piece of shit. You know, uh, life has been uh, really throwing him so many curveballs he can't quite keep up. He's struggling in his relationship. Uh, he's lost both of his parents now, his father the most recently, uh, living in New York City, kind of on his own, um, and is struggling with everything under the sun. He's struggling with the relationship, struggling with sobriety as well, struggling really at this dead-end job that he's not super happy with. But one night at a Halloween party, he meets this young woman named Anna. Anna and him start to have loads of sex. Everything is great, but then his life slowly but surely starts to deteriorate. He's not really able to understand why. Comes to figure, Anna may or may not be a creature of the night. Anna might be a vampire who is sucking away the little life force that he has. Now he not only has to come to terms with the sobriety that he's struggling with, but also if he is maybe going to be slowly turning into a vampire. That's all I got. Perfect timing. Thank you, thank you. That's like 60 seconds right on the dot. That's how we like to do it around here. Yeah, and uh, you know, this is a this is a you know nice little hour, fifty minute movie um, that kind of lets you really uh, seep into again. Like this is following Sam. This is mainly a character story. The plot itself, there. I mean, there kind of isn't a story. You yeah, know? he doesn't have a, a a particular issue, but it's uh, like you said, it's a manifestation of all these like kind of tiny little things that are mm-hmm. eating away at him, and then you know he gets his escape. Uh, you know, when he meets Anna and And something else is literally eating away at him, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Some someone is, um, you know, and so as far as subgenre stuff goes, uh, we did already mention at the top that this is uh, sort of a vampire movie, depending on how you view this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I kind of went back and forth throughout the movie and um, I kind of came on to the fact like, I mean, they use a lot of vampire stuff and there's a lot of uh, you know, cerebral, psychological kind of stuff, uh, you know, um, a, a hallucinatory um, factor to the movie. Yeah. But I'm like, I think she, because at first I was like, is she even real? But then when she goes to their place, uh, when she uh, shows up out the vacation, yeah, and, the and then you see and everybody else, yeah. I was like, okay, so she's real. Um, I don't think she's a vampire. I think she is just a, uh, she, I think she's a sex worker that may or may not have given him an STD. Yeah. Not to make assumptions, but that is kind of 
uh, 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 underlying yeah, thing it's, it's a, uh, floating around throughout it, the movie. She it, doesn't yeah. say her occupation, and yeah. and uh, there's the the moment with the protection and stuff. So there's underlying currents yeah. of STDs, which were you know kind of uh, becoming a little bit more of a scary thing in the '90s. Totally, yeah. Post '80s, post AIDS. Well, like still in the midst of AIDS, but really kind of uh, leaving the '80s, which was you know so prevalent in that era. So definitely something that a lot of people were concerned about. This is also like pre 9-11 New York so it's like certainly this interesting time that I think the the film captures but you're right there's the cold sore on his lip is like straight up called herpes like multiple times in the film there's also a scene where they're having sex and he's asking for protection and then afterwards asks if you know she's uh like clean or anything and she's you know he's like you gotta ask these days you gotta ask so yeah it's it I think that the STI conversation is certainly very prevalent in the film I like that they they get into it, but they also it doesn't feel like it's uh, a PSA or anything yeah. or or like a commercial or something yeah. like that. Like it it very much feels like in a kind of more progressive way because at first you know she was like, well, protection from what? And then he you know the way he says it, he was like, you know, there's things more scarier than pregnancy to deal with. Yeah. Like that's what he says later. Yeah. Uh, whenever um you know she like reveals like she was on her period and mm-hmm. she's like, see, I couldn't get pregnant. And he's like, well, I'm not just talking about that. Uh, which was yeah. I thought just a very interesting way of like kind of talking about it very casually versus um because we've seen a few different vampire movies that like kind of um touch on this. You know, a lot of people uh read Near Dark as kind of having some AIDS allegory stuff as well. Yeah. Um, that feels a little bit more of the panicky type mm-hmm. versus in this film, like the conversation that they're having. There's like, hey, like they are a thing. And they are a thing yeah. to look out for. And it's like, hey, like, I'm not, like, you know, coming down on you for it. I'm just, like, you know, saying, like, I'm throwing it out there. So I like that they, you know, could have leaned a lot harder into it with the, with the vampirism in this uh, and that. But I think since they don't go as heavy on the vampire stuff, that that's why they don't go as uh, for further into like uh, the STD conversation. But, of course, they do uh, also spend a lot of time talking about it, the addiction yeah uh, angle of it and i mean that can i mean i would say it's more of a theme than a subgenre but the, the idea of addiction is very scary like i think it's a a very common fear for people to have like you know to feel dependent on something and mm-hmm. you know not being able to control their dependency on that thing mm-hmm. um is like kind of very scary or just like kind of the places it can uh take you emotionally when you're addicted to something so there is i think there is a lot of fear behind addiction yeah i think there's also something to be said and this is like uh, another notch in the belt of this bs idea of like elevated horror being like a new concept because this is a film that's been around for a while and it's like yeah vampirism is an allegory for you know lots of stuff capitalism uh, alcoholism sexuality. Uh, sexuality sexually transmitted diseases uh, romance breakups like a, a lot of those things which are pretty uh, uh, plainly stated in the film which we'll certainly dis- uh, discuss but yeah this is just a, an example of like no horror has been saying shit since the beginning man yeah, <laughs> you just we, not paid attention we, um, we've been doing this and yeah. this is such a great example too because yeah. again like it didn't get theatrical release it doesn't have many critical reviews so like this is really one of those ones that just you know people didn't see but yeah. like now you know in today's current age since we have so much more accessibility to these smaller films yeah and now it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is a big booming thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, maybe, but also it's not new. Yeah, it was definitely popular in the 90s, this uh, independent wave uh 
Tarantino wasn't the only one, but certainly was a significant figure in like ushering that in, as well as a bunch of other filmmakers. But yeah, as far as other subgenres are concerned, um, I would say that this definitely has like a 90s grunge kind of aesthetic to it. Um, it's certainly like a lo-fi, like we already mentioned, shot on 16 millimeter, which gives the, the film uh, a certain look to it as well. Um, probably was for technical limit, uh, you know, uh, limitations back in the day. They're obviously not going to shoot on digital or anything back in the mid 90s. But um, I think this micro budget indie, like I'd already discussed, was so popular in the 90s and was something that, you know, film students would later uh, like study about in like the early 2000s and people like this and Jim Jarmusch and Noah Baumbach and these like other filmmakers who were really popular in this time. Soderbergh too, Tarantino certainly, people that, you know, uh, was kind of changing cinema at this time. And I think Larry Fessenden was certainly... Uh, in that conversation as well of using your surroundings, using what limited resources you have and scraping together a little bit of money. But what's really important to the stories, the characters, much more naturalistic dialogue, uh, more of just kind of, uh, you know, fly in the wall sort of of attitude. This isn't like a really super stylish or, you know, flashy movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really, you know, uh, not quite watered down, but it's not, uh, especially, you know, in a post-80s kind of filmmaking landscape, I think a lot of people kind of just grew out of favor with those types of movies. Movies that were like A Near Dark or A Lost Boys or something like that. Movies that were so stylish and colorful and vibrant and had smoke and fog and, you know, uh, all of this crazy stuff for, you know, people like Larry to come around and make more of a character-driven film, I think is is pretty daring. And although this isn't as popular as some of those aforementioned filmed, I think it's, you know, his fingerprints are really felt throughout this entire film. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of personality to it. You can definitely feel the 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 hustle w- uh, of making this movie within mm-hmm. it. You know, I'm uh, I'm pretty sure the the actor that plays Nick is like a, a good friend of his in real life. You yeah. know, and, and like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if either of the apartments you know belong to him or yeah. somebody else. You know, um, and even in in that depiction too, you know, the apartments look so lived in, like you know, like there's so much going on in his apartment. It kind of very uh, reflects the the kind of messy, uh, you know, bohemian style that he kind of sure. goes for. That's like uh, it's like kind of messy, but then like she kind of comes in, she's like, oh, like it, it's still kind of aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. in a way. Like it's a it's kind of a nice mess. Yeah, um, and uh, I I kind of get that you know in a lot of this uh, movie it kind of because there's elements that you know kind of feel uh, a little fantasy-esque mm-hmm. and uh and you know sometimes again like when you're in new york or your la like you know like you have those nights where it's just like uh, the the city feels magical you know when you're, you're you're just the perfect amount of buzzed you know and high and like and, <laughs> and you're just like man like this is this is a, this place is pretty magical man yeah. like it, like it, it's silly but like you do kind of uh get that and like there's very at times where they like really kind of play that up like um the scene where like you know they have the ferris wheel and then like mm-hmm. and then they're uh they're walking around and on the um, rooftop and having yeah. naked sex, and, you know, <laughs> uh, having a walkabout and just stumbling across a random naked photo shoot going yeah, on, yeah. like, but like that's real, like, like that shit, like happens, you know. So, um, you know, his him, uh, you know, kind of very much putting that intimate, personal touch on it, um, it comes through quite a bit. But as a lot of other vampire movies, this is a uh, this is a very erotic movie. Um, you know, sexuality uh, is a very big factor into this. 
uh, into the story on like kind of how like again like when you kind of have uh, the way he describes it to his friends is uh, yeah, he felt possessed yeah um, the way that he just couldn't stop thinking about her after he met her and like you you know you have that to where it's like especially when yeah. everything in your life is like kind of shitty right now and then you like meet someone interesting then it's like oh well this is like my band-aid for all of it you know yeah. and like it makes him feel better you know so he's very much you know just like kind of yeah. burying himself in sex because i mean obviously he still has yeah. liza that like still cares for him but they're just yeah. he he doesn't want to take the you know mature you know pause and be like hey let's you know like kind of assess our situation and kind of yeah. go forward and he's just like no i, I already met somebody because yeah. he just needs that that physical yeah he describes the sex that they're having as having warm milk in his veins which i was like that's not as attractive as you think it is man like that's kind of he sells it the way he says it though like <laughs> he, he, he sells it the way he says it because yeah it's like that's not doesn't sound very sexy <laughs> but at the same time it's like that's uh, uh you know like uh it feels uh you know the the sexuality in this feels very primal and like i feel like even that is like a very uh distinct choice of you know using milk you know something very just like kind of raw uh in a way that you know isn't sexy to all but is yeah. sexy to you in a certain way you know yeah i think that there's you know just talking about like this era of filmmaking it was also just wild watching this because we, we live in such a sexless cinema landscape a lot of the most popular movies just have are like completely devoid of romance or, or any sex of any kind other than maybe a kiss here or there so it was refreshing in a weird way to watch a movie like this to where you're right like the sex is very primal and like most of the sex scenes in this movie are like uh uh, just ripping each other's clothes off and it's, you know, it's on a bookshelf or a counter, or, you know, the floor mm -hmm. even, or they're at a hospital. And so it's all just like very spur of the moment uh, uh, kind of rabidness, which, yeah, leans to the the vampire uh, quality as well. Uh, but it felt like nostalgic in a weird way. It's like, remember when movies used to have sex? <laughs> I mean, there's a, there, there's a lot of sex in this. Yeah. The sex scenes are long. Mm -hmm. And, but it's so, but this is such a great example of showing that, like, you can have a movie with lots of sex in it that doesn't feel gazy. Yeah. You know, like, at no point is, like, you know, the, the camera really lingering on Anna a ton. But mm -hmm. we're also seeing naked-ass Larry Fessenden just as much as Larry her. Larry hangs dong in this movie, Hangs man. a lot of dong. Man, a lot of parallels with Basket Case. Look at that. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, this is a very, I mean, in, in this, in each sex scene is so different, too, because yeah. you really kind of see the way that he processes and feels about like first it's like you know it's the best thing ever and like they're even though he does still have a, a questions initially the very first time they have sex but like that yeah. very first sex scene is like very hot it's like they're literally scooting around the apartment on yeah. the floor because yeah. like and it's just like uh the the way that they're like kind of caught up in it you know and do you have a favorite sex scene in this movie i mean I mean, I would probably, I mean, I would say that one because not only do we get a great sex scene out of it, we also get like a really tender moment afterwards. We never see people clean up afterwards like in the bathtub. and yeah. they're, they're just taking a bath and like, yeah. she very just like casually like shows him that she was on her period and yeah. it was like, see, it's all good on the pregnancy. And, yeah. and again, his reaction is like very casual to it. Like, it's just like, I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. Like I yeah, get it. And like, sure. this is why, you know, now we're taking this uh, bath and. Uh, they're examining the scars and it's a it's a very sexy um you know just a kind of portion of the film mm -hmm. um but then you kind of see with each sex scene like there'll be like progressions within the sex scene of like he's into it and then he's like he's not into it and he's mm -hmm. kind of wanting against it and like you can tell 
he loves the sex until it starts getting the bitiness. And then he's like, "Ah, I mean, I'm not really into it, but he's still allowing it. And I love that. You know, we have so many flips on the the traditional power dynamics. You know, it's usually the other way around. I mean, we technically kind of get a a rape scene uh, in this movie of a woman raping a man like you know in the very end he's very much saying no stop it he's trying to fight her off and like she knows that like that's the power that she has over him yeah and it's uh it was very refreshing to kind of get to see that yeah i think it also there's this whole conversation of addiction happening too which i think that power dynamic is fascinating and i think i'm more compelled by how this film uses like sex as an like as a parallel towards addiction not like sex addiction but like addiction and then sex and like what are the the parallels between the two of them and i i found that really compelling the vampire thing i i found compelling to a point but i don't think that the film like makes a lot of different points like it kind of just hammers on the same point quite often um but i i found the relationship between sam and anna and their uh you know promiscuity between one another to be quite compelling and then Sam and his relationship with Liza and how he's kind of like using alcohol in sex as a way to just kind of like band-aid over that pain as well as like the loss of his father um, when he like goes to the funeral to like talk about the passing of his dad he looks at his dad and like talks about him from such like a weirdly technical place like he talks about his dad's like philosophy towards like capitalism and consumerism and like it's so completely devoid of any sort of like emotion or sentimentality in a weird way. And so I think he's kind of just like avoiding a lot of those kind of things for like quick fixes for like a sex or an alcohol. And I I found that component of the film to be really compelling. And then the vampire thing has its its own moments for sure, but overall uh, wasn't, didn't capture my attention as much. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I feel like it, it, it ties all in very well because, I mean, I love the, the, the portrayal of, like, the way that he is grieving his father. Like, because it, it is, like, a very tough position where it's, like, he obviously didn't have as, you know, much of a relationship with his father. Like, yeah. not a bad one. It was just, like, he didn't know him. Mm-hmm. Like, he was, like, he was, he traveled a lot and he was gone all the time. Like, yeah. I, I don't, it's, and it's not like he, you know, we don't have any indications of, like, anything, like, terrible happening between him. It's just, like, he doesn't know him. And now yeah. he's expected to, you know, process the death. He's expected to have certain feelings to other people, like, when they ask about him and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, like, he's got to do this eulogy and he's also got to sort through his apartment and yeah. he's just like i'm doing all this for someone that uh, uh, for him is mm-hmm. almost a stranger you know and that's a very complicated situation to be in emotionally and to yeah. just not deal with it you know um you know it, it could be said that you know the bottling up of the emotions is making him physically ill yeah because there has been you know links to uh those kind of things happening or again it could be the vampirism or it could be he, um, it could be you know he has an STD, or it could also be you know like the symptoms of like him having like true alcohol poisoning addiction, you know yeah. that. Um, and uh, so it, it it can really go either way, and I love you know that's where I like the the vampirism because it's like um, there's certain scenes where it's just like 
he'll be sitting there and everything's super loud. And it's like, oh, is everything super loud because he's becoming a vampire and has and super hearing? Or, whatever, or is yeah. it just because he's hungover and everything seems louder when, and brighter yeah. when you're hungover? You yeah. Know? So I like that they uh, kind of use the... Because uh, they're not breaking any ground with any of the vampire, um, you sure. know, tropes or anything in here, but they're using the the familiar ones uh, to aid into the the dramatic angle of it. Yeah, I think the the film certainly takes its time as far as like the rules of vampirism because like he gets bit like very early on in the film, and it's not like you're seeing him you know, overnight transform. It really is like the course of this entire movie to where he like slowly just starts to deteriorate as a person. And I think that lends itself to having this conversation of, is it because of alcoholism? Is it because of all of these other things like you had already mentioned? And I, I, I did find that to be com- uh, pretty compelling that this film isn't as conventional as one would expect. It's not like in the second act, he's like, how did you do this to me? And he's like out in the night hunting virgins or whatever. Like I, I like that is this kind of slow, you know, degenerative process like alcoholism. I also think it was interesting to see from his friend's perspective, like how they view him and how he deteriorates Uh, and deteriorates. I say that lightly, like his character introduction in this movie is him boiling coffee on the stove (laughs) and then pouring that into a mug. So like, he's already not on a great place. You know, (laughs) he's not like on a super firm standing here, but yeah, I I do. I, I was compelled by that. And, how this film is able to talk about addiction and, you know, how others kind of perceive you and how your friends on the outside, you know, can kind of see their friend who they once knew just wither away. I also feel kind of bad for Sam in a way because every time he sees somebody in the movie, they're like, pal, you look like shit. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm just I'm just tired or something. It's like, no, you're you look like you're dying. So I, I think the film makes like I make it makes its points pretty clear especially like in one scene in particular that felt like uh just larry just you know just on a soapbox uh for you know five minutes or whatever it was which i found to be a bit too much um so i'm trying not to let like that one scene like really kind of poison my own thoughts on the film but uh yeah i think it's able to navigate these ideas pretty well yeah, the the yeah the the monologue scene that you're talking about between uh between Sam and Nick yeah um is very interesting because one uh the the connection with his friends because like you can tell his friends do care about him they've known each other or they've known each other for a long time um but also like you know like Nick throughout the entire movie he's you know one of the enablers that just keeps being like hey do you want to go get a drink hey you want to drink he, about he's it he's also fucking wanna... annoying like he's such an asshole he's so like... annoying he's <laughs> the, very much the the pretentious like you know beat poet you know classic archetype of New York like yeah. he's straight out of rent yeah know? he's always doing a voice and his own yeah I, and, I found him really annoying quote, <laughs> quoting quoting books like, that yeah. nobody knows what he's talking about yeah. like he is straight out of the rent universe yeah. and and so that's the only thing that makes that monologue like okay to have in there because yeah I I hate it whenever yeah. uh, writers like have the monologue in the movie that explains the connections of the themes like he literally says yeah. there's vampirism everywhere like I, you know, I have like, it in my movie math I'm excited to talk about you it. Know, there, there's, <laughs> there's vampirism everywhere man like uh, and he really yeah. does spell it out but it also felt right from that character he's because already this that like pontificating yeah yes. kind of yeah so so I was like if they hadn't already set his character to be that you know just schmucky of a guy yeah. to begin with but at the same time it's like yeah I didn't need it 
uh, spelled out because, uh, you know, on the first time and the second time I watched, like I did have a really like he, he, he does a really good job throughout of like keeping you guessing. Like, uh, like I said, of like, is she the first half of the movie? You're like, is she even real? And then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, she's real. And then it's like, is she even a vampire? And like, and getting to kind of play with, uh, the back and forth of it all. Uh, but then that monologue is him basically saying like it doesn't matter because everything's a vampire. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, it kind of deflates kind of the 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 back and forth like kind of uh, debate that you've been like having throughout the movie. Yeah. Um. You know. And uh, man, speaking of the end too, like uh, what it, what a gut punch it would have been if whenever we see uh Sam's body like after he's like falling off the window that it's just his body and there was no Anna there. Yeah. And that it was all like not real. It was all a dream. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't have been able to pull it off because they would have had to have been lying to yeah. us, uh, the rest of the movie, but it would yeah. have, uh, would have been an interesting punch to it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Sam, cause it's funny. Cause I mean, you called him a piece of shit in the 60 second synopsis. I mean, yeah. I, I can't, decide because i don't think he's a bad guy no no, uh, like, no. I think he's not he a bad a, guy but he's a piece of shit if you know what i mean yes like <laughs> yes like a, a kind of a uh, salt of the earth kind of guy yeah and um you know and but i i, I do see him as like you know well, it's just it like, also is mentioned that in his prior prior relationship he like quote unquote knocked lisa around so he is kind of a okay. piece of shit <laughs> i did for i did forget about that line before rewatching it the second time i was like oh shit yeah i was like you know and and you know they don't mention if it's knocking around physically or also like just knocking around like what if they were just fucking yeah you know knocking boots knocking around (laughs) because because then because then they talk about uh her being jealous of all the girls so like why would she be jealous of the guy that was beating on her hey man it's all about addiction you know what i'm saying true sometime alcohol be be beating on you but (laughs) keep going back you know that's that's the kind of that's the kind of insight we bring at at specter cinema club it's a metaphor devon it's it's always a metaphor um yeah but it is you know again like kind of just uh watching uh watching him uh deteriorate like you said he already kind of uh doesn't look the best but you know kind of uh, yeah. can only go so far down but uh, you know i think uh you, you said you saw people uh being mean to larry and oh on, on letterbox yeah people were like <laughs> mad they're like how like i i, I didn't even want to watch this movie for an hour and 50 minutes because i have to look at the guy and i'm just like oh man like <laughs> i don't think he like he fits the part and i i think that Larry Fessenden, although he does look like if you tried to draw Jack Nicholson from memory um, <laughs> with like a bit of Nick Nolte thrown in there for good measure and then like covered in an ashtray. Um, I think that he, I admire what he does in this film because it feels so removed of any sort of ego. I think it would be easy to have like a, if you're writing and directing this own fi- your own film, I think it would be easy to kind of put yourself on this pe- pedestal. Mm-hmm. And I think some people would say like Sam could never get Anna. So that in of itself is a bit of ego, but I think Sam is supposed to feel like maybe he's punching up a bit, you know, that he is with this person who may or may not be a, like a tad out of his league, but like the sex is so great. That's why he's, you know, as an audience member, if he was with somebody who was, uh, you know, not super pleasing on the eye or somebody that we could see, you know, was as conventionally attractive as Sam is, 
I think it, the addiction angle wouldn't, I don't think, hit his home as much. So I think the fact that Anna is like this very attractive uh, young girl who, uh, you know, is would some consider would to be out of his league a little bit. I think it makes the film a bit more potent than it normally would be uh, if the opposite were true, you know. I mean, I feel like it makes sense. I mean, one, he's got a, he's got that weird little like kind of uh, gangly charm to him a little bit. Like, uh, it, it, it's believable that this guy is, you know, kind of just coasting his life completely off of Riz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like that's, <laughs> like I mean, because that's a, the and but and I feel like he like he leans into that. And, like that is part of like why the sex is just like have a cover up because it's like yeah. it feels like oh like this is the one thing I got. Like you know everything in my life sucks. But like hey, look at these beautiful girls that I you know can meet and you know yeah. have uh, relations with and which is like it's so funny because like I I relate to um to Sam in a lot of different ways except for that fact cuz like I've been single for a year because I'm like <laughs> yo my, I am too much of a mess right now like I definitely don't want to be dating so uh, uh kind of the complete opposite approach you're taking that notes he from takes. Sam is what you're saying <laughs> uh yeah I guess I guess I just need to say fuck it I'll, I ignore <laughs> if I'm drinking coffee off the stove like who cares like I'm here and uh and, and even though Larry Fessenden like he you know he's directed quite a few films but he's all, he's primarily known as an actor and like he is uh, yeah he's a very talented actor and like uh you know yeah there's definitely like no ego in his performance at all you know he just allows himself to uh really bear all you know literally emotionally Cheeks, uh, you know <laughs> uh, you know i mean he's a sweaty nasty mess he has bloody lips the entire movie yeah his hair like <laughs> severely needs a comb i don't think he showers this entire movie besides that one bath that he takes like you know in period blood <laughs> like that's kind of all he's got <laughs> i mean well the hair that's just larry i mean yeah like he's been rocking that hairstyle for 30 years now and which you know uh parts of himself obviously do leak into this but uh, uh you had asked me uh before we were recording about uh he when they were taking the bath and uh, he tells the story about losing his tooth mm-hmm. uh which is true he he lost his tooth because he got mugged uh somebody mugged him and knocked his teeth out so that is actually a true story damn uh yeah larry there's like implants you know you could get a nice veneer or something maybe he likes it uh but it some certainly fits like his character it. in this one somebody who would just get knocked in the teeth and be like whatever some you know? people <laughs> some people like it uh shout out to my friend clarice that does listen to the podcast uh she she's uh she's literally like a working model and she's gorgeous and has she got her tooth knocked out like a like over a year ago and i'm just like i mean she's look uh, she, she's getting her implants now. It is happening, but oh, I was like, I was Clarice. like, I would just rock it. So, see, so shout out Clarice. See, I thought you were going to be like, and Clarice is rocking the gap tooth, but apparently she's filming. I mean, it she in, has so. been. She's been like still like working and like doing everything with it. I'm like, yeah, like do it, own it. You I say know? rock it forever. Let it be your trademark, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so Larry, Larry, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's it all, uh, hang out, you know? Yeah. His literally. Hang out and, and again, as we said, he's hanging dog in this movie. But yeah, I, I, I appreciate the, the last lack of of ego in this film i think it would be something that some people would point to this film but i wouldn't say that he's like oh schlubby guy with you know hot girl i'm just like i i I think one kind of the point but also two it's not he he's rags on himself a lot again that's the only (laughs) thing he's got going literally like literally everything else is beating him down except for that so uh so yeah let's talk about anna a little bit what what would you think about anna as a character as a possible vampire like where were you how were you feeling 
villain. I think of the question of is she or isn't she a vampire? I think one is the point of the movie. I think you're supposed to uh, to ask. I can't quite decide if I think it's more or less interesting if she is actually a vampire. Um, I think both have their merit. I think that the fight towards the end of the movie kind of would lead me to believe that she is actually one, but I don't think is necessarily like the catalyst for all of his problems. I think things are kind of going downhill anyway. I think that she has, you know, this sort of mystery to her, um, which I think is certainly intentional. She is kind of unknowable in a weird way. As Sam mentions, he has like never really seen her like eat or drink or shit or anything. And like, she just kind of is this omnipresent sort of, you know, person. I don't think she has like a super compelling personality. Um, I think that there's, you know, uh, Meredith Snader, I believe is the actress, actress's name. And uh, they haven't really acted in anything since. And I, I don't know if the performance that, she nor like a lot of the people in the in the film give like terrific performances. I think that she's pretty good. Um, but uh, for myself, I, I think that she brings enough to Anna to make her like mysterious and kind of unknowable in the way. But I don't think she's like uber compelling or anything. But I think the mystery is certainly a part of her character. Yeah, I, I thought she was I thought she put in a really nice performance. I think she had really great chemistry uh, with Fezenden. And, um, and yeah, she is like unknowable. And I think, I think at least for me, I think it's more interesting if she's not a vampire. Um, I think she is just also a unstable person that is like also dealing with shit. And like, you know, like sometimes when, uh, two people in similar low situations find each other, you know, they have this misery loves company kind of attitude. Yeah. And they have this very volatile, spontaneous, you know, relationship and things like that. And so, so I kind of, you know, like to read it as, you know, that like, um, you know, she's kind of dealing with some things, uh, that she's not proud of again. Like she kind of, she keeps alluding to like, I haven't told Sam what I do because I don't want it doesn't matter what I do. I don't want him to think something of me. So, again, I keep thinking like maybe she is a sex worker and she's not the most proud of it. Um, You know, we love sex workers, but maybe it's just not for her. Um, And it and that might be because maybe she knows that she has an STD, you know, and like that's kind of eating away at her as well. So maybe she kind of sees Sam as this pathetic alcoholic and goes, Mm -hmm. well, fuck it. Like, I'll do whatever I want, you know, with him and like. I think whether she's a vampire or not, I think she is still predatory and nefarious. Yeah. Um, especially as she like kind of keeps getting uh, a little bit more into like, you know, going further and further into the movie. And then so again, like even the fight where you kind of are thinking, um, yeah. uh, you know, the most that she's a vampire at this point. But at the same time, this is where Sam's at his lowest point, too. And I mean, I don't know if you hallucinate when you are, you know, like having the effects of severe alcoholism but yeah he's at his lowest point too so i mean this is maybe where he's seeing the most vampire like behavior yeah. from her i mean she did kill his cat you know like i don't <laughs> i don't know if you can hallucinate that much or she did just like no i it up against the wall or some well, shit and i think know? that shit is real like i think she is also just unstable and like you know like yeah he uh, let her in, you know, to help cover up his problems. But then, like, by the time he's realizing that she's not good for him, yeah. then she kind of feels a type of way of, like, well, what, you're a mess, but I'm too messy for you. And then so <laughs> I'll she, yeah, show you. I'll kill your fucking cat. I'll fucking cat. kill your cat. And then she, like, fucking breaks in and is, like, fucking yeah. beats his ass and fucking rapes him. Yeah. Like, you know, she is just, like, like she's unstable and like psychotic so like i think that's more interesting to me than if like yeah she is a vampire and you know the the things that he's dealing with are just the factors that make 
people not believe him, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, the, he does try, like, some stereotypical vampire stuff. He has, like, the garlic, which doesn't seem to help a lot. And then also the fall from the building see, appears to kill her, which would, you know, lead you to believe that she's not a vampire because, the, the, you know, falls from a great height don't kill vampires. So, and it was daytime. Yeah. She didn't, like, burst into flames exactly. or anything. Exactly, yeah. So uh, I, I, I think that the film gives you enough clues and mythology to assume that she's not a vampire. Um, there's also some like it's it's mostly a hallucination, but he thinks of like the boat and there's like a vampire in it, like kind of yes. Dracula style. So I think it's supposed to be like a, a more of a meta current context, uh, contextual like kind of approach to a vampire as opposed to being this kind of like I want to suck your blood, mm-hmm. like to be in more you know again a, a metaphor for addiction. And I, I think that that is very encompassing with the history of vampires and horror. Like they've been metaphors for loads of stuff, including sexuality and and, and in this case addiction. So I, I think it's pretty encompassing. Again, I could take it or leave it. If I was a betting man, I would assume that they're not actually a vampire, but I could also hear arguments for the contrary. Yeah. I mean, I think the, yeah, the, the whole Lenny subplot, I think was just there to kind of throw us off uh, into thinking that like, oh, Lenny also hooked up with her and he yeah. also got the thing. Or it's Lenny also met a random person, got a sexually transmitted disease, yeah. and got sick. Hey, it was you the know? 90s, man. But, but, you know, again, like, you know, uh, it, it just uh, there to kind of parallel with uh, with Anna and, um, you know, like uh, this, like, kind of weird, like, you know, competition that him and Lenny have. Of, like, yeah. That's, like, the only thing they talk about is, like, you know, the girls they met and, like, you know, what they're doing, where they're fucking, all these things, you yeah. know. Uh, Sam's friends suck in this movie. Just a, a bunch of loaded degen- degenerates, if you ask me. Like, uh, Nick, super pretentious, super annoying. Lenny, a complete scuzz, you know, <laughs> just mm-hmm. like a bad pack of douchebags. Yeah, no, I mean, he's got Liza, and you can tell that, Liza does still care for him and all these things, but of course, like, uh, Sam is just like kind of too dumb and drunk to, you know, open his eyes and realize it and be like, hey, maybe if you just like kind of chill for a little <laughs> bit, your girlfriend will come back. Yeah. You know, like she obviously wants to work it out with you. And like, yeah, he literally is fighting himself on it throughout the film. Yeah. He's certainly uh, not in a, a place for repairing a relationship. Yeah. Right now. He needs to work on himself, Devon. He does. That's exactly what it, that's a literally dude exactly would rather date a vampire than go to therapy. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. That, that's literally it, though. And like and like you said, his friends, you know, they they don't help. So it, again, it's like so it's like it questions like you know like uh you know like the way that friends kind of change over time as yeah. you like kind of get older. That's like yeah, they like have known each other for a long time, but like obviously like they they kind of care, but they also don't care that deeply. Yeah. Like they show up, like they all show up to like get drinks, and then it's like oh yeah, Ray's grandpa just died, and she's all sad and emotional, and they're like well, should we not do this? And they're like, well, no, we're still here, so let's go ahead and drink some more. Yeah, you know? that's so. how Sam like ends his kind of uh, his speech about his yes. dad. He's like, all right, well, let's go drink. And then immediately, <laughs> immediately hits up the, the, the bar at the funeral or the wake or whatever, which for some reason is like loaded with liquor. <laughs> There's like six bottles on this table. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to talk about that that night, though, because I love the parallel of i mean it, it kind of takes it to the next level because like it's like yeah the first time the first night that they hang out it's like oh yeah they they meet at the carnival and they do yeah. the ferris wheel and then they fuck in the park and, yeah. and it's like it's all kind of like a little more romantic and then the the like 
crazier night they like take it a step up so anna shows up at the memorial yeah uh which i mean that's already again red flag like if she's already turning up to the to the funerals of your dead parents and you didn't invite them (laughs) yeah that's a red flag buddy so she shows up and it's like okay well let's go drink and go have fun yeah but then they're out walking they see a car accident or hear a car accident wild they take a kid to the hospital in a cab yeah and then fuck in the hospital afterwards. Outrageous. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, one of those nights we've all been there, right? The, but this like this kid so who like, somehow got strung from this car, by the way, he's like a good like fifteen yards away. He from was this across car the street and is just like laying on the <laughs> on the pavement, and they just like hail a cab and just and everyone around them is like nobody move the body that's a line that you hear like six or seven times and they just like take this kid just sling him over their shoulder well they were talking about the guy that was in the car because he was like halfway hanging out and yeah they, it was, somebody even said put him back in but uh <laughs> but yeah they they took the kid to the hospital via cab because you know ambulances are expensive that's true uh, uh, you know and then it's just like and then they fuck and then like this is where he's like you know like okay like it was like cool us like fucking out in the open and all these yeah. crazy things but like yo i've had a fucking weird ass night and i didn't like that you yeah. know so it's like it uh, they also go to the park and see wolves or dogs that chase them and there's one moment where she turns around and like puts exactly. up her hand like she, she some, tried to chris pratt those wolves <laughs> <laughs> like, or yeah using her like telepathic vampire powers yeah to, uh, i guess this know, was yeah another illusion stop the werewolves issue. yeah yeah is she uh is she a vampire or is she just crazy enough to think that she can stop a wolf yeah she might have just been too drunk or whatever it was just held again chris pratt into her way through this park but is that a thing does cause... hey buddy speaking of dogs i mean no i mean I, uh, are wolves in the park a thing yeah those yeah are with glowing red thing. eyes that well was, like... not the glowing red eyes i guess again like the 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 movie does kind of have a because uh, the movie isn't like uh isn't like you know fantasy like a like Nightmare on Elm Street or like Phantasm or something, yeah. but it still kind of has like glimpses of this like kind yeah. of uh you know hallucinatory like uh, aesthetic. The thing that I was wondering is a lot of these night sequences and some of the scenes where, as we said, Larry Fessenden hangs Dong. Uh, he's like running throughout the street, and I want to know what, like the behind the scenes story of that is, where they just like go to like a random dock and they're just like. Like, all right, Larry, you, you, you run there, and he just like disrobes, runs, and then puts his clothes back on. And they get out of there before he gets a, you know, <laughs> it's arrested. Like, <laughs> it's like three a.m. and they're like, somebody's keeping watch on the corners, yeah. and they're like, all right, we got, we got maybe uh, enough film for two takes of this, Larry. Yeah. So, so do what you can. Yeah, and they they uh they they go they go to the beach at one point for some reason. Uh there's there's like a whole sequence on that. It wasn't my favorite. They go to the beach and like swim and then that, that I don't know. What did you think of the beach scene? That was a so, weird scene. So that whole little chunk uh is interesting um because one it's like so this is them they're like oh we're all stressed when you get out of town and we're yeah. going to go to Ray's grandma's house. But I love that it's just a slightly bigger apartment. To, yeah. to hang out and drink in there's nothing yeah. special to it like a, uh, except yeah. for yeah. i guess the beach and um and i guess at this moment this is where sam still hasn't like sam's starting to like kind of get ideas but i feel like this is the point where uh you know nick gives uh you know his first of many bad uh bits of advice and is just like kind of 
more indulging him and being like, no, like, I think what you're, you know, Ray thinks you're, you're, you're coming loose or whatever, but like, no, I think you're fine. And like, Hey, if this Anna girl's making happy, then do it. Like, ah, I'm, I'm gonna go run in the ocean, yeah. you know? So it was like him being again, trying to be prophetic, but also again, being like a bad friend and giving just bad advice. Yeah. Um, so it kind of that, and then having like Anna again, like kind of show up. That's like, again, like that was, finally when i was like okay so she's real because the first half of the movie up to that point i i could you know think that she was even real yeah uh so i liked getting to see her and then she like you know she does like kind of uh she messes with ray's you know head manipulating her and whatnot so uh there to kind of cause a little a, a little extra ruckus yeah just proves my theory man lenny is a douchebag or, or was that nick nick both nick. of them but specifically nick in this sequence is just the worst yeah he's like just don't throw caution in the wind don't feel your feelings just say fuck it so it's like that is exactly what sam doesn't need to do <laughs> pretty much he said he said he said you take those feelings and you bottle them up and you swallow it and then you chase that down with an entire beer <laughs> and uh, jump in the ocean and then never talk about those emotions ever again <laughs> yeah uh his friends he, he needs a better support circle is what i'm saying i will say for nick the the one the one uh really great line reading that made me laugh was um again like during uh during the monologue or they're having their conversation when when uh, mm-hmm. sam is like yeah i haven't even seen her eat i haven't seen her piss i haven't seen her shit and his response goes and for that, she's a vampire. Because you haven't seen like, her he shit. Says it, he says it so genuinely because, like, I do love the, you know, like, uh, people people are d- debate, uh, you know, when you're dating, when do you pee in front of somebody? When do you shit in front of somebody? And, like, yeah. this, some people think it's super significant. And I'm just like, uh, no, it's a bodily function. And you just kind of need to do those things. Peeing is one thing. Shitting is another. Like, shitting in front of somebody is, is such a vulnerable state. Even dogs look a little, like, you know, they like looking around and seem a little uh, skittish. I don't want to shit in front of somebody. I, I would pee, you know. I, I'm, I've, I've peed at urinals. I've peed in front of people my entire life. Shitting in front of somebody is such like a, a vulnerable state, Devon. I'm I, a, I, I guess I'm de- I'm desensitized. I guess uh, you do. You would not want to see. Um, my, you would lock eyes with somebody and pinch one off. You, you don't. Right you now. don't want to see the group chat with uh, me and my sisters. Um, everyone talks and sends pictures of their shit. A oh, lot, my goodness, and then and then of course having a puppy, uh, he, there was a lot of shit going on. So it's like, especially in the past two years, I am very desensitized. Just your to shit. gallery on your message thread is just just pictures of Dookie. Everywhere. It's it's very gross, actually. <laughs> it's it's very gross. Um, but yeah, so so I I do love that uh that that line reading and you know kind of playing on all of that. Yeah. Um. So I suppose we can start uh wrapping up into our final thoughts here. Yeah. Uh, what did you uh, think overall <coughs> I will say the conversation I think did help this was like an example of a film that I was like a little lukewarm on but one that I think has um, aged uh, well for me just in like the past few hours and, and thinking about it and discussing the film so I, I think it's at least bumped it up a half a star for me um, so yeah I, I think that this film is quite uh bold in a way i i think it's it's really understated uh, is really devoid of a lot of ego which i appreciated i think this would have been a very film to make self-indulgent and to just be like self-aggrandizing um or super pretentious but i think that uh, larry fessenden is able to craft a character that feels honest it feels raw as does this entire film i think it's able to use horror in a way to 
emphasize a lot of the points that it's trying to make if you know at, at best i think it's able to stretch that in a way to have it apply to lots of different situations and then at worst i think it's a little obvious and a little thin um i think i would have preferred the film to make um uh, its points maybe a bit more um uh varied i suppose i think it makes especially in regards to the vampire kind of um uh metaphor that it's using I, I think it's a a little redundant um i think the film's a, a, a tad too long um maybe shortening a, a little bit could have helped make it a bit more concise for me but i really appreciated the film i i think it would be one that is going to stick with me even though it's not like one of my favorites or anything so right now i'm at a three and a half out of five what are we doing uh, Budweiser uh, cans 40s. of 40s. Uh, we see a, we see quite a few 40s uh, drink in this. I mean, we could yeah. do shots, any shots. whatever uh, your your choice of uh, booze is at the moment. I'm gonna say three and a half out of five uh, pots of coffee on the stove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a such a uh, odd choice. I love that he gets the coffee, puts it on the stove, and then goes to sleep. Yeah, so that way it's on the stove for when he wakes up. <laughs> Genius, brilliant, Sam, brilliant. What a, I mean, now that I think about it, I mean, I don't see him eat a single thing in this entire movie besides, I guess, finally at the, yeah. at, when they're at grandma's house. Yeah. Maybe I'm trying to think about it. Yeah. I don't see uh, too much in this, but uh, yeah. Ugh, God. Literal diet of uh, coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, it's <laughs> disgusting. It's disgusting. It's what the indie kids want nowadays. <laughs> oh yeah. They could, they could never, they don't have the stomach for it these days. <laughs> I mean, look at him, you Just know. vape pins and uh, what are the white claws? What are kids drinking nowadays? I don't know. Yeah. There's still drinking white claws what did you think devon your final thoughts yeah um i had a again i had a pretty like visceral reaction the first time i watched it and then going back into it like it still um felt very uh contemplative uh it you know it does have you know its elements uh again like uh you know it, this is i guess uh I wouldn't say it's a vampire movie because she's not a vampire but i mean it still is a vampire movie but so it's like there's obviously not as much uh, tinges of horror as yeah. one would think in this movie. Um, you know, I think um, they kind of could have made, they kind of could have played into that a, even a little bit more. Um, but honestly, like this is a very earnest and raw movie to me. Um, I felt very compelled by Sam's character. Mm -hmm. And though again, like they're not, you know, saying anything new or presenting any, uh, you know, fresh uh, metaphors as far as, you know, vampirism, uh, addiction and sexuality i do like that they um uh you know merge them together in a way to service the character mm -hmm. uh even more than uh any story i liked hanging out in this world like you said like even though it's not like a very glamorous world but it just feels very lived in yeah uh and, and which i very much appreciate and i like the the mystery angle of like is she isn't she and like kind of still getting to uh, decide that for yourself and um and uh and it's very sexy like this is like i mean until until it starts getting rapey uh it's a very erotic sexy movie like you know again you got you there's a lot of sex in this we get asses we get dongs we get tits and uh and i love all of that and again it, it feels in a in a very like way to service again you know this character story uh character study and the story it's gotta uh, be one of my favorite devon quotes we get asses <laughs> we get tits we get dongs in this and i love all that <laughs> that's it like i mean uh, i mean i'm a i'm uh 
easy to please, <laughs> uh, as, as easy to please as Sam is in uh, that cemetery or in that park scene. Uh, he, he, he comes off real fast. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I really do uh, enjoy this, like, kind of just very, it's a very moody movie. You know, I love me a good moody uh, type of type of movie, and I like the grit to it, and it feels very New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this this is a New York movie uh, through and through, which I very much appreciate. So, um, yeah, I could have uh, taken a little uh, better uh, performance from uh, best friend Nick. Mm-hmm. I could have done a little more of that. I could have had a little more horror. Uh, but for me, this is a uh, this is a four and a half out of five uh, Budweisers for me. You're doing Budweisers, appreciated. Because because yeah. uh, uh, the the emotion goes a long way for me in this one. Yeah, I I, I definitely could understand why uh, this is is totally up your alley, and I'm glad that we discussed it here because I don't know how uh, eager I would have been to go out of my way to watch this one. So I'm glad that we can bring you these deep cuts here on the podcast. Yeah. So let's see what else we were thinking about while we were talking habit. All right, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to end all of our episodes by playing a game called Movie Math. You just have to take some movies that reminded you of the film that we discussed today and put it into a mathematical equation. So, Mr. Devon, what do you have uh, today for us? Yeah, I had uh, I had quite a few uh, movies uh, that were coming to mind, and uh, I was trying to find the best way to um, to put them put to, put them together, um, but. Where, where I came away with was, um, so actually I might still try to throw one more in here. Okay, so parentheses. Mm-hmm. Uh, parentheses, I have, okay, I might have a couple parentheses I'm here. ready for it. So, so parentheses, I got thirst uh, divided by the transfiguration. And um, the transfiguration, another movie that I brought up on the uh, vampire episode of the incinerator. Um, it's also a vampire movie that's technically not a vampire movie because the kid is not a vampire, but it is a vampire movie through and through, kind of um, uh, in the way that this one again like commits to uh, the the familiar tropes of it. Um, but thirst is a movie I brought up. I think I put it in movie math a few times because there's so many subgenres in this movie. Uh, so that's why I'm gonna divide it by transfiguration because uh, it kind of still leaves uh, in. Uh, the vampirism elements, um, the transfiguration, also a, um, I don't know if it's in New York, but it's a very uh, grizzled urban uh, movie. I think it might be New York or Chicago. And um, But Thirst uh, has uh, a lot of the same kind of connections between eroticism, addiction, uh, kind of treating ero- uh, like your you know, lust uh, as an addiction itself, uh, but then paralleling it with the vampire. But uh, Thirst is a total vampire movie through and through. Um, So there's uh, some struggles going in there. So I got those in parentheses. um, And then I'm going to, um, I'm going to times that by Crash um, in kind of uh, finding this, you know, very certain, um, you know, very distinct eroticism um, in a, you know, very low place and kind of, um, the, where the places in your life and like the things that you're doing influence the things that you are, uh, sexually into at the moment, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, it also, um, kind of has a very similar tone. Um, the, the tone is kind of very, uh, bleak a little bit, um, with like kind of just like hints of a little heightenedness to it. Um, so I saw a little bit of that. So that's times that, and then close that parentheses, and raise that whole thing 
um, and raise that whole thing to the power of Requiem for a Dream. Um, another uh, very New York movie um, goes very hard on the horrors of addiction. Um, I'm going to raise it to the power because obviously this movie does not go nowhere near those levels, Mm -hmm. but it's capturing a lot of the same feelings and a lot of the same horrors, but, um, you know, bringing them down, uh, to, you know, be a more centralized introspective story. So, but it's, it's got the spirit of Requiem for a Dream in there. Yeah. That movie is, God, that movie is really upsetting. Uh, and then, uh, you mentioned Crash. uh, I believe it was like, uh, or Cronenberg's birthday like a day or so ago. So happy birthday to Daddy Cronenberg. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, in my equation, uh, I alluded to this film earlier in our, our conversation. So I've got a set of parentheses. This is my first set of parentheses. Uh, you and I are getting a little creative today. So in my first set, I've got a ghost story, which is also like a film, uh, one I don't particularly like actually, but is a movie that is like taking horror elements and using them as more of a avenue to talk about other things like it's not really preoccupied with being a a spooky haunting house a haunted house film it's mostly about this person who is experiencing these things through the lens of something that is you know typically attributed to the iconography of horror and also that uh, in a ghost story there's also a conversation in that movie where a character just says the entire theme of the film <laughs> to the camera and it's like oh great thanks for t- really talking down to me I, I didn't get it up to this point so <laughs> I've got a ghost story added uh, with leaving Las Vegas the Nicolas Cage film uh, which is also about addiction and like slowly seeing somebody just kind of deteriorate their life away and then like how does uh, love and their relationships and their friendships kind of find their way uh, within that I've got those both uh, in a parentheses times bad lieutenant because uh, I think that that film and this film have a very similar aesthetic to them. Um, and I'm raising all of that to the power of instant coffee and cigarettes because that's just like, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few coffee stains on the film for this movie. And it just gives me that vibe of just late nights, you know, some burnt ass coffee and some cheap cigarettes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, don't you don't you? I mean, you can literally smell the the aroma of being in a cramped apartment P. while smoking cigarettes inside. <laughs> I mean, at least I take my cancer sticks outside um, for me. Uh, oh, my God. And speak of that. There was a there was a line when he's uh, drunk rambling to Anna the first yeah. time they meet mm-hmm. and he um, and, you know, setting the addiction stage super early. And he goes, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going a, I'm to a quit cigarettes. But but in the spring, you know, I'm, I'm at, but, uh, you know, I'll get to it. Yeah. But, and then he tries to rationalize why he's still smoking. But then uh, he makes a comment saying, like, uh, I like to say I'm committing suicide on a uh on an installment plan <laughs> and uh that's a that's a good it, line that's a very generation x line oh yes uh, for like 100 percent. but um but uh yeah a, a ghost story fun fact um i saw that at a very random uh double feature the very first time i went to the arc light here in la oh cool uh, guess what movie I saw along with a ghost story that so night? I'm trying to think of what I think. 2017. I'll give you a, give you a hint. I think Baby Driver came out around that time. Was it Baby Driver? It did come out around that time, but no, it was not Baby Driver. Um, Colossus. 
No, okay. it was not Colossus. Yeah. The most random double feature I've done, um, I actually went first and saw Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, and then uh, snuck into a 11 o'clock showing of a ghost story Dang, right afterwards. Now my brain's like doing the, okay, how can I draw the connection between those two? <laughs> Casey Affleck stars in, you know, who stars in. Well, yeah. a ghost story and your movie math, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming takes place in New York. New York. So yeah, so we got we got one more week of uh, New York films, and uh, crazy that this is going to be the very first uh, Del Toro movie we talk about here on the podcast. And of all Del Toro movies, we're talking Mimic. <laughs> Very excited to be discussing that one. That one is uh, is been on my watch list for many a years, but I've actually not gotten around to it. But love me some Guillermo Del Toro, who just uh, also just won another Oscar. Um, so I'm stoked to be talking about that one. Oh my God! Uh, his quote, um, my very—I love that he just kicks off uh, the Oscars with some heat, and he said, yeah. "Animation is not a subgenre." Yeah, and I was like, "God damn, it's a medium." Yeah, uh, I love Guillermo del Toro, and I'm not too surprised this is the first one that we've talked uh, on the pod about, like, because uh, his other ones, you know, I, I think are—he could get a whole month in and of itself. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like, I, I want to get him into more things. I've, there's a, a lot of his movies I love. Like, yeah. I mean, the Nightmare Alley was fantastic. I love the Hellboy movies. Me like, too. A lot. It's good stuff. I like, uh, I, I champion Crimson Peak a lot. Um, I think after Mimic, I think Kronos. Haven't seen and Kronos. And then I think The Devil's Backbone is another yeah. one of his. I think those two would be my only blind spots for him. I think everything else I would have seen. I haven't seen Kronos. I've seen, I've seen the rest. Let's so. do it. Let's do it. I'm excited for next week and our conversation for us both, right? To, to dive into that one for the first time. Yep. That'll be a first time watch for both of us. Woo-hoo. So very excited for that. But until then, uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, you guys can follow me over on uh, TikTok, Letterboxd, uh, as well as Twitter. Uh, if you want to see my early review of Evil Dead Rise, I just published that on TikTok. So you can go and see my thoughts on that film way before it comes out. Um, so make sure to follow me at any of those platforms at Garrett McDowell. Um, if you want some more podcast goodness, you can subscribe to my other podcast, Scum and Villainy, which is my Star Wars podcast with new episodes every Wednesday. Man, I am just so happy that we're able to talk about Evil Dead Rise finally. Yeah. Like, I've never kept a secret for so long. Oh, I have not kept it a secret at all. Everybody I mean, I've well, talked I mean, about I've t- I'm like, well, you have to. Oh, I mean, I'm awesome. Uh, uh, secret online. <laughs> yes. Online. Yes, yes, yes. Because, yes, I've, I've talked to people about it, but yeah. like, uh, uh, in wanting to, uh, you know, uh, talk it out with the nerds online, uh, very excited to get into a full month of that next mm-hmm. month. Um, uh, but yes, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco as well as letterbox, uh, follow the TikTok for, uh, the podcast at Spectre Cinema over there. Um, and yeah, I don't think I have had any other, I don't have any other podcast stuff plug right now. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, make sure you guys are, uh, retweeting and, uh, telling friends about this one, but. Now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.